This is called the illusion of control. Okay, so um, get yourselves comfortable for this because it's a very interesting thing. We, uh, there's, a, there's a thing that's probably best referred to as a narrative. And what it is, it's a story that explains everything. In the modern world, actually a lot of the narrative is folklore. So it's actually folklore that's found its way into academia, into um, education and the media. You know, but people's perspectives haven't changed in a whole lot of ways from 100, 200, 300, 500 years ago. Um, and, and there are a lot of, <laughs> are a lot of things that people came up with thousands of years ago that are still part of our perspective of our reality. One's a thing called atomic theory. Atomic theory was, was constructed by Democritus, who was a Greek philosopher. Uh, he constructed the theory of the atom, and we've kind of hung on to that. And, and it transpires that that isn't as an accurate representation of reality as seeing it as energy. So nowadays there's a thing called um, quantum field theory, which is how they calculate how things work at a, a, a fundamental level. And they calculate it based on everything being energy fields. And the, the, everything that we see is actually a disturbance in that energy field. When they calculate it like that, it's far more accurate than perceiving everything to be stuff. So there's, there's a fundamental thing that's folklorish, that stayed in the minds of people for thousands of years. That's how we perceive everything. It's a thing called a paradigm. And paradigms are very difficult to shake off. <laughs> you can have cast iron evidence that, that the paradigm is wrong and the paradigm continues. And uh, the history of science tells us this. You have a paradigm as a way of seeing the world in a particular way. And then the, the evidence that it, that's not true becomes so overwhelming that there's a new paradigm. An example of that is um, the realization that we're not the center of the universe, which was a thing called the Copernican Revolution. You know, back in the day, Earth was the center of the universe and everything rotated around it. And then, so Copernicus managed to prove that that wasn't the case, and Galileo and so on. So there's a new paradigm. You then have to see yourself in a different way. And even without that, people still felt like they were at the center of the Earth until one day there was this photograph of the Earth appearing over the moon taken um, by the Apollo mission. And since then, we've become a little bit more aware that, that we're on this ball of rock spitting through space going around a star. So that all of these paradigms, they, they're very, and even then, you, you get out of here, you don't, you're walking along to the cafe or whatever, you don't feel like you're moving at 100,000 miles an hour through space, right? It doesn't feel like that. So there's, there's a couple of um, paradigms that I'm going to teach you how to dispense with today. One's time. We've got a, a concept of time that's unhelpful, it's not real. So I'll, I'll be able to introduce you to time and I'll be able to introduce you to space as well because we don't, we don't have a paradigm of space. We don't have a paradigm of space, paradigm of time. And that's how, that's how people live in the modern world. We just live in a particular way. Okay, so getting over to control, 
Um, so the, I have this question that I ask wherever I go and nobody's ever been able to answer it. And of course, nobody ever will, which is what's the next thing you're going to think? Nobody knows. You don't know what the next thing you're going to think is. And so there's, there's the concept in, in our minds of... Uh, it's got a word, it's a thing called the homunculus. And what a homunculus is, is a little man. So the, the little man makes choices and does things, and then you do the stuff that the little man decides. And there's overwhelming evidence that that's not the case. But unfortunately, the evidence is is tucked away in neuroscientific journals and books and so on. And so you take probably one of the people with the greatest insight into this is a guy called Michael Gazzaniga, who's one of the great scientists of our time. What he did to, to understand how the mind, the brain works is, is sheer genius, but he's an appalling author. <laughs> so he's got this really useful message and it's never been gotten across. <clears throat> and because it's never been Articulated satisfactory, satisfactorily, we still have this concept that there's this top-down process that's going on. And that's why life can be so confusing. So let me give you an example. That says one, one of Robert's archetypical examples. Have you ever had this experience? Why am I at the fridge? <laughs> yeah. Why am I at the fridge? If you remember the w Wizard of Oz, there's the bit where they... There, there they are, there's Dorothy and Toto and so on, and the, the, this big, great and powerful Oz with flames coming out of its eyes. Toto runs over and pulls the curtain, and you can see that the great and powerful Oz is actually operated by a little man with a lot of levers. That's a homunculus. So we perceive that there's a top-down thinking me that makes choices and those choices end up as my actions and that's actually not the case let me explain what it's like it's more like this um, yeah, so if you if we finish teaching here and you know you decide to stay in this room it's a public space and people will walk into the room you don't know who's going to walk into the room you don't know whether they're going to be nice, whether they're going to be obnoxious, how long they're going to be here. Yeah, and, that, and that's how it is with thought. Because that's an uncomfortable thing to recognise, when we teach children, we've got this concept, which is, you're the bus driver, and the thoughts are the passengers. So you, you, you drive out of your depot in the morning, you don't know which passengers are going to get on, you don't know how many stops they're going to be on for, you don't know whether they're going to be friendly or whether they're obnoxious. And that's, that's the nature of thought. That's pretty much the nature of emotion. And if you use my fridge example, it's also the nature of action. So actions, we take actions and then we become aware of the action that we've taken. Most of what human beings do is habit. It's something that you've learned to do through repetition. So there, there's, there are all of these elements operating in our day. There's instinct. What got you to the fridge semi-consciously <laughs> was the, the fact that you 
felt the need to, I don't know, have a bit of cheese or a tomato or whatever it is you're eating out of the fridge. And your instinct moved you to the fridge and the habit, you know where the fridge is. You can experience this when you're driving. You know, if you're having a busy mind day, most drivers will get in the car and the body drives the car to the <laughs> other end. If you're a driver, you'll have had this experience. You get to the other end and you're you know, talking to somebody and they say, what was the journey like? And you go, hmm, <laughs> you can't remember the journey. So you'll just say, what will you say? You'll say, it's fine, it's a good journey, it's okay. You can't remember it. So you're thinking, there wasn't anything memorable, therefore it would have been okay. So that, that's the, 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 the bottom levels is, is instincts and habit. There's a thing called path dependence. Why do we do what we do? Why do people do what they do? Almost all of it is a thing called path dependence. Statisticians will tell you this if they understand uh, the, st the behavior of populations. Let me give you an example of what path dependence is. QWERTY keyboard. Have you ever wondered why the QWERTY keyboard is the QWERTY keyboard? So it, it, it's all of the letters are inconveniently located around the keyboard to slow you down. Back in the day, IBM delivered typewriters and people learned to type pretty quickly. They put all the vowels in the center because they, they get used the most. And what happened is the keyboards got jammed. So they went back and they said, all the keyboards are jamming and people are sending their typewriters back quick. You've got to do something. So what they did is they distributed all the letters as inconveniently as possible. While they were doing that, they also put all the letters that form the word typewriter on the top row. So that when an IBM salesman goes in to sell a typewriter, uh, they could train them pretty quickly to put a bit of paper in, type typewriter, and of course they got better and better at that little movement. And everybody looked at them, oh, that's really good. I'll buy one of those, because it was a big deal. Yeah. There's, there's a, a formation of keys known as Dvorak. If you have a Dvorak keyboard, 75% of the words in the English language can be typed without moving your fingers from the central row. Yeah, that's, how, that's how inefficient it is. It's been like that for a hundred years. <laughs> so, if you, if you, you know, Lord knows, if umpteen billions of pounds and dollars have been wasted while people spend twice as long typing out whatever they're typing out than they need to. And here we are, and all this knowledge is in the public domain, but it's not common knowledge. So there's an example of how we do what we do because we do what we do. And once you've, once you've invested the time to, to learn QWERTY, you kind of have to unlearn it, and that's a little bit frustrating, so people don't bother. Because they don't bother, there's nobody's got a Dvorak keyboard, and because there's no Dvorak keyboards, it doesn't, and so there you go. And, and this, this happens to us as well. Our personal path dependence is habit. And we, we learn from the habits of other people. So one day Einstein sat down and somebody said to him, one and one is two. Right. Baby steps, habit, everything's a habit that we learn from somebody else. 
And so we have this huge construct, externally and internally. There's a big external narrative, explains everything. What it generally tries to do is explain why we're doing things. It doesn't... It, it, let's, let's, let's just have an explanation and leave it at that. There you go. There's the explanation. And generally speaking, that's accepted because the world's so complex that we don't have the time to dig into everything we're told. And that's, that's the external narrative, and it's exactly what happens in, in the internal narrative. So what my, Michael Gazzaniga discovered is something called the interpreter. And what the interpreter is, it's a part of your brain that makes up a story to explain why you're doing what you're doing. And the way they discovered it, they had these people who had ep epilepsy, so they had to separate two halves of their brain. When you separate the two halves of the brain, the brain can't communicate, so the left hemisphere doesn't know what the right hemisphere is doing, and the right hemisphere doesn't know what the left hemisphere is doing. So you can communicate with them separately, and you can get them to perform actions separately. And what they discovered was this. If you get the left-hand side of the brain to do something, and you ask the right side, why did you just do that? It will say, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a thing called, it's veridical. It's incapable of deceit, the right-hand side of the brain. If you do it the other way around, let's say you, you say to the right-hand side of the brain, okay, stand up. And then you ask the left-hand side of the brain, why did you stand up? It will come up with a little story. It will say, oh, I just felt like stretching my legs. I, I just, you know, I was, I was uncomfortable in that seat. And that's, that, that's consistent, utterly consistent. So what happens is this. This is what it's like to be human. You're aware of your experience. It's as if there's a single point that's aware of your experience. <clears throat> your internal and external experience is what the Buddhists refer to as phenomena. If you add them all together, they're phenomena. Things happening inside, things happening outside. Uh, there's thoughts, there's emotions, there's other people, there's what you say. I never know what I'm going to say next, neither does anybody else. You kind of formulate an idea and the language centre just constructs it. You've got your actions, you're observing yourself uh, performing actions. And then there's the interpreter that's trying to make sense of it all. And if something doesn't make sense, it, it'll create a little story to explain why it's happened. And that's what we all do all of the time. And becoming familiar with the mind, which is what meditation's all about, is helping us to become familiar with this. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have no free will. What I'm suggesting is, is and well, in fact what I'm st stating quite categorically in this mountains of evidence, is you have influence, yes, but you don't have control. Perfect example, changing a habit or adding a new habit, which is where we come to meditation, for example. Adding a new habit, you know, you come here, it, your mind is in a better place, you're calmer, you're more relaxed, you're more focused, you're less stressed, you're less worried, there's less anxiety. You know it's useful. You know, you need to create a habit to do it regularly and you can't just say to yourself, right, I'm gonna, here's a new habit, I'll, I'll do it now. 
because there, there, and there's so many other things and you're juggling and, and the, the interpreter is trying to make sense of it all. So I, I'll show you all of this. I'll, I'll show you the, the paradigm that we live in in, in meditations. And you, you, you can see that, and there's about bags of evidence to this, that where the awareness that's aware of our experience, we can construct a story, but it's far more helpful if that story's closer to our personal reality. The closer our narrative is to what we actually experience, the happier we are. Because if it's different, somehow or another, we've got to explain the difference. Yeah. So if I've, got a, so I've got a bad habit and I want to change that bad habit, if I believe I'm a little homunculus that makes choices and actions result from the choices, and I can't change that bad, bad habit, then I'm broken, right? No. No. That's all, it's just a matter of replacing it. Gently, softly, repetitively, replacing the unhelpful thoughts and emotions and behaviours bit by bit, day by day, all you've got is influence. But that influence over a lifetime, even over a few years, or even a few months actually, is, is huge. So having explained all of that, <laughs> now I've got to show you. The first paradigm is time. Yeah, meditation and mindfulness teachers talk about the present moment. We live in What's a continuum of time? Let's say you're stressed. Why are you stressed? Why could you be stressed? Why could anybody be stressed in this room? There's nothing stressful. What's happened is things that have happened in the past or things that might happen in the future are bringing you that stress. But that, that it isn't the past and it isn't the future. So how do we make this tiny little hop from this continuum of the past and the future, which we call the life situation, how do we move from that to being here, where there's no stress? Well, I'll show you. So to do, to do, to do this usefully, it, you, it's probably best if you either close your eyes or look down past the tip of your nose. And what we're gonna do is listen, listen to the sound of the bell and notice the sound of the bell moving through time. Okay, come back, notice the sound of the bell moving through time. Notice there's sounds in the background. Notice the sounds in the background moving through time.
Notice the sounds moving through time. Conveniently, there's a hubbub. There are voices and we can't discern the conversation. So we're able to listen to it like the sound of a bubbling brook, a stream. It's what you'd hear if you're sitting by the side of a stream. A hubbub of sound. But the key is to just notice the movement of the sound through time or time through sound, whichever it happens to be. And so there's this, there's this hubbub of sound and there are whatever thoughts are arising. If you have a narrative, the narrative's chattering away. There's the sound of my voice. The sound, your thoughts, my voice, all moving, through time and if your mind is busy your narrative is chattering take control of that voice that inner voice hijack it And you say, using your inner voice, what I'm going to say, you say, I am listening to my thoughts moving through time and stop copying and listen to the hubbub. And, and this is what it's like to be human. And there's a lot more happening in the present moment. Notice whatever you can smell. So when you breathe in to, sm to smell the air, gently, you're noticing your breath moving through time. 
And so you can notice your breath moving through time. Noticing the breath rising. Noticing the breath falling. And then there's the sensation of sitting. Any comfort or discomfort. Notice where your body is comfortable. Notice your comfort is moving through time. Notice any discomfort moving through time. Are you warm or cool? Are you tense or relaxed? Are you tired or alert? Can you notice your heartbeat? Notice that you're aware of where your body is. If you were to move your hand in front of your eyes, with your eyes closed, you'd know when it gets to the point where it's right in front of your eyes. And we know where our body is. It's another sense, it's called proprioception. And there's what you can taste. And what your hands are feeling, the texture of whatever your hands are in contact with. And then there's the feeling of your hands, how your hands feel. And are you tense? Check in with the back and sides of the neck and the shoulders. Any tension there, just find the most comfortable place to balance your head on your spine. And as you breathe out, gently relax. And if you place your elbows by your side, Comfort first, then elbows by your sides. Helps to straighten your back. And if you gently place your fingertips and your thumb tips together, very, very gently. So gently you could push a cigarette paper between them. And that helps you relax your hands. And if you place your tongue up against the back of your top teeth, in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth, that will help to relax your jaw and your face. And notice the movement of the belly Tiny, tiny movement. Noticing the belly rising. 
noticing the belly falling. The mind chatters away. Notice the thoughts moving through time. There's an emotion feeling in your body, however you feel. Notice it's moving through time. And notice sound. So just to help you along, I'll sound the bell. To help you to connect to that tiny little sliver of time that's the present moment. Notice it moving through the sound of the bell. Breathing in, noticing whatever it is you can smell, whatever you can taste. And in your very own time, gently return your attention to your surroundings. Okay, so more Robert questions. What is in the sound of the bell? There's no right or wrong answers. Anybody? Sound? Waves. Waves. Yep. Movement. Yeah, there's a sense of movement. There's a sense of sound. Waves. Change in tone. Change in tone. An echo. Yep. Very good. Okay, what isn't in the sound of the bell? Fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, shame, guilt, bank balances, difficult neighbours, dodgy colleagues, crazy organisations you have to work for, white van drivers, it's not there. Right? <laughs> okay, so there's a paradigm, and it really is a paradigm. It's how we believe our reality is. The, the, the Piraha people of the Amazon have got a, a word, I forget exactly what it is. It means that that personal place or thing that's happening has gone out of my awareness. They're aware that their reality is the bubble of what they can see, hear, smell, touch and taste, feel their inner experience. And then outside of that, it's just, it's just gone. Their perception of it is it's just gone.
So this is the bubble of the present moment that we were exploring there. Unfortunately, people try to translate this with words. So they come along and they say, oh, it's just about being in the present moment. So you meet somebody and, you know, they, our, our mindfulness is just being in the present moment. Well, it is and it isn't. Notice the difference. Notice there's a very real palpable difference between being in the sound of the bell or being aware of the movement of time through the hubbub of sound and being aware of your physical sensory experience of now and being where we normally are, which is in this kind of the past and the present and the future and all the problems, all, it's all one thing. Back in the day, if I had a problem, me, that problem, the past and the future was all one thing. I was the problem, the problem was me. And the, one of the narratives of a, about meditation is we're, we're just sticking our head in the sand. And this is from the perspective of it all being one continuum, past, present, future problems, everything, it's all one. Because you come to the present moment and notice what's in it and what isn't in it, which is a common observable reality to everybody. It's a common observable reality to everybody. It passes what I call the hunter-gatherer test. Nothing is real unless a hunter-gatherer who has no concepts of our culture can understand it. Everything else is cultural and it's in our head. So a hunter-gatherer would come in here, he would see the ceiling, he would look at all the colors, she would look at all the colors, be able to discern that there's human beings in some of those pictures. There's, there's creatures with, that look like winged horses and so on. So that's a, our common observable reality. You know, the Wedgwood colours and, and the Grecian motifs are part of our cultural awareness. So they're, they're two separate things. So now you have access to both of these. You have access to a common observable reality which is the sensory experience of the present moment. And you also have access to the complex life situation of the past and the future and, and the jobs and the careers and the neighbors and the family and the bank balances and the property values and the politics and all this kind of stuff. And all, I don't, I'm not knocking the life situation but what I'm, all I'm selling is the choice by meditating regularly, you have the choice. It's like stepping out of a door to step out of that life situation and into the present moment and then back into the life situation when you need to do it. But to do that, it needs to become a habit. And so to, do, to, to perform the habit, you need to repeat it regularly. Okay, so that's, that's the first paradigm. Second paradigm, we'll, get, we'll, we'll ha have another look at the, the present moment. So what we'll do is we'll enter the sound of the present moment again, because it's a, it's a good place from which to explore the second paradigm.
being a modern human isn't. And probably the easiest thing to do is to notice the movement of the belly. Notice the movement of the belly moving through time. and the hubbub. The tiny little sliver of time that is the present moment has less irritations in it because any sound you can listen to it moving through time. Any sound. So it becomes an object of meditation, effectively, when we're aware of something. So you can listen to the voices moving through time. So now if you half close, half open your eyes, with your eyes down past the tip of your nose, Notice the space, the space between us all. Allow yourself to be aware that there's space above you and space below you and to either side. And notice that we're in the mansion and the mansion, there's space all around us. There's a space above us, space to each side, in front, behind. Going on almost to infinity. And we're in this space. Just noticing the movement of the belly. And allowing yourself to be aware of the space around you. The space between you and the people you're sitting next to. And so this is, this is a, a liberating thing to do when you're outdoors. So let's say you walk out of here into the park and you look up at the very blue sky. There's a sense of expansive sense of space. It's one of the reasons people come to parks. When you walk out of your front door, you don't get that. Same space, same sky, but you don't, you don't, it's not there. It's only not there because you're not looking for it there. It's like the space between us. You're not looking for the space. 
not allowing yourself to be aware of it. So that there's the second paradigm is space. You've got time, you've got space. Okay, so how do we get to this place where we become aware of the tiny sliver of time that's the present moment and the way to do it is like this so if you just either close your eyes or look down past the tip of your nose get yourselves comfortable and allow yourself to notice the movement of the belly tiny tiny movement rising and falling Or if you prefer, you can notice the movement of the breath in the nostrils. The sensation of the air entering and leaving the nostrils. Coolness. Warmth. Rising, falling. This is never a competition to notice the breath. It's an experiencing experience of becoming familiar with your mind. So you're noticing the breath, the mind will wander. And when the mind wanders, you gently, patiently, compassionately come back and notice the breath. And you're noticing the breath so that the mind wanders. And you're letting the mind wander so that you notice that the mind's wandered. That's what we want to repeat. Called the moment of recognition. The moment when you notice that your mind's wandered. And you've just stepped back into this tiny little sliver of time. And in it, there's the breath rising and falling. You come back and notice that. So this is called following the breath. You notice the breath, mind wanders. Notice that the mind's wandered. Come back to the breath, repeat. Any sounds they're just moving through time. Practice this for the next few minutes. It's called following the breath.
Cool breath in. Warm breath out. As the mind wanders, what will happen is every so often, I'll just open the door to the present moment for you, if your mind's wandering. And I'll do that by sounding the bell like this. So when you hear this, notice the present moment moving through time. You're noticing your breath rising and falling. So if you feel impatience, or you feel boredom, or you feel frustration, or you feel irritation, just notice it. Notice the sensation, the thoughts to do with the impatience, all to do with the boredom. Notice it moving through time.
And for most of us, this is a pendulum experience. Mind wanders, the inner critic chimes in, thoughts arise. There's a sense of desire to move, to do things, got to do this, got to go there, see this person, go to this place. You know, just notice, notice that. And this is where we get comfortable with the life situation, is by witnessing it from the present moment. So if you just place your palm very close to your forehead without actually touching, so as close as you can put it, and then you put your hand back down, you'll notice the sensation in the forehead. You're aware of the sensation in your forehead. Place your tongue up against the sharp part of your teeth, breathing in normally. When you breathe in, bring your attention to the space between your eyes. When you breathe out, Relax your forehead, eyebrows, eyes and cheeks. So breathing in, you're noticing the space between your eyes. You breathe out, gently relaxing the forehead, eyebrows, eyes and cheeks. Tongue gently up against the sharp part of the teeth while you're doing this. Breathing normally, relaxing the eyes, like invisible fingers massaging your eyes. Breathing in normally, tongue still against the sharp part of the teeth. Breathing out, relaxing the mouth and lips, jaw and throat. elbows by the side, thumb and fingertips gently in contact, breathing in normally, breathing out, relaxing the back and sides of the neck and the shoulders. Breathing in normally, breathing out, relaxing the hands. So this is how to reset your physiology. Breathe into that space between the eyes. Breathe out, relaxing the eyes, jaw, shoulders, hands. Breathing in, just noticing the space between your eyes. Breathing out, eyes, jaw, shoulders, hands. You bring your attention to them. like a wave of relaxation moving down the body from the forehead down to your fingertips.
You wake up in the night, you find it difficult about getting back to sleep, this is what you do. Someone upsets you, life is unsatisfactory, this is what you do. Relax, relaxing, relaxing, relaxing. We have to learn how to do it. We need to practice it. Good thing to do when you get into bed at night. Make that a habit. Get into bed, relax. Eyes, jaw, shoulders, hands. Tongue against the sharp part of the teeth. Finger and thumb in contact. Breathing in normally, noticing whatever it is you can smell and in your very, very own time. Gently return your attention to the room. So the approach to take to, to, to building the training, if you get a new kitten, kitty peas, you lift her up and put her in the litter tray. She pees, you lift her up, put her in the litter tray. You come into a room and she's in one corner and in the other corner there's a little puddle. You pick up Kitty, you show Kitty the puddle, you put her in the litter tray. Gentle repetition. That's how we influence the mind. And bit by bit by bit, day by day by day, your mind will become more and more aware of now, of the present moment and what it consists of. And then this actually becomes the place that all the choices arise in the life situation. Because it's very difficult, when you're in it, the closer you are to a problem. I, I, I had this recognition that when my life was melting down at one point, about 10 years ago, I was like a horse with blinkers. And the bigger the problem gets, the, the, the more closer the blinkers get. The idea of blinkers on a horse is so it doesn't get distracted, it just carry, goes where you want it to go. So if you want it to go left, you pull its head to the left, it can't see right, so it just carries on, plug, plug, plug. And these blinkers, as, as life gets more and more difficult, they get tighter and tighter and tighter. This is a way of stepping out of that, it's huge. And then you're starting again based on what's real for you, which is your present moment experience. And you're not, you're not continuing the narrative. You're able to step out the narrative, dump all of the bias and expectations and goals and rights and wrongs and goods and bads and fairs and unfairs. And you're looking at this and you're looking at a situation and you're looking at how your body's responding to it and your mind. And you can see that in other people and life becomes an awful lot clearer. Okay. So that's the illusion of control.